Have you ever wanted something so bad that you felt that not having it affected your very relationship with God? What does it mean when our hearts desire something so strongly and yet God doesn't seem moved at all to bring it to pass? We'll talk about it tonight on Boundaries, Idols of the Heart. Hey friend, have you noticed the change in the podcast music? I hope you like it. Anchor recently changed some of its music selections and my old favorites are gone. So I'll be playing around with some things. Please let me know what you think. Never forget that you can find me on social media on Facebook at Shania Lambert Rooted or at Shania underscore Lambert on Instagram. If you find value in what you've heard thus far, or what you expect to hear in this episode, consider a monthly subscription to support this channel. It's so easy. Go to anchor.fm forward slash Shania dash Lambert. Click on the support button and pick an amount of your choice for as low as 99 cents a month. Yes, you heard me right. 99 cents a month. It's much appreciated and it allows me to continue to invest in Rooted and bring you even better content. There are big plans in the works for Rooted and your support is necessary to see them happen. I thank you in advance. In this Something Like a Series on Boundaries, we've discussed why boundaries are important and why God encourages us to erect them, especially in areas of our life where we're sensitive or vulnerable to attack. Tonight, we're going to talk about probably our most vulnerable place, the heart. Now, don't tune me out. This is not going to be, at least not intentionally, a soft, mushy monologue on culture's idea of the heart. Instead, we're going to talk about what the heart is, why God calls us to guard it, and what dangers are posed when we don't. To begin this discussion, I think it's important for us to clearly define biblically what the heart is and what it's not. Culture would tell us that the heart is our guide, our intuition, our motivator. How often have you heard someone say, just follow your heart? But the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful and no one can trust it. Wow, those are two polar opposite perspectives. So which one are we following? Let's unpack it a little bit. Let's start by defining the heart biblically. The Hebrew word for heart in the Old Testament was lebab, lebab. That means heart, mind, inner person, the seat of your emotions. Also a place where rational thought occurs. In the Greek in the New Testament, it would be cardia, cardia, the seat and center of circulation, desires, feelings, affections, passions, and impulses. So your initial reaction may be, okay, so what's deceitful about that? What's quote unquote bad about that? And my response would be, the heart as it was created by God? Absolutely nothing. But your follow-up question may be, okay then, so... If my heart wasn't created deceitful, if it's not inherently bad, what makes it that? Why can't I trust it? I love when you ask great questions. 
What pollutes the heart and makes it untrustworthy are the things that we allow to infiltrate it. This is why God, again, cautions us. And I would go so far as to say, please with us to guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 tells us that above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Listen to the strength in the words that were chosen above all else, meaning prioritize this. Guard your heart for everything you do. Not some things, not most things, but everything you do flows from it. Listen to a couple of scripture references that help us to build this picture. I'm reading from the New International Version. And if you're taking notes, which I hope that you are, we're going to read Matthew 15, 18 through 19, and then Luke 6, 45. So I'm reading from the New International Version. Scriptures, Matthew 15, 18 through 19, and Luke 6, 45. Matthew 15, 18 through 19 read, But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Luke 6.45 reads, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Your heart is a great source of power and influence, but its ability to influence you well depends upon what you feed it, and you, and especially others, can tell what's going on in by what's been coming out. To guard our heart means for us to be diligent about what we allow to affect and infect us. It can be as broad or specific as you like, depending on the person and their makeup, but everyone stands to benefit by being intentional regarding what you watch, what you listen to, and how you speak, especially to yourself. You've heard me say it before, and I'll say it again. You have 10 times more influential power on yourself than anyone else that you could potentially be around. You have the ability to influence yourself more greatly in a deeper way than anyone else you may surround yourself with. It is not arrogant or prideful to be selective about whom, with whom you spend your time and what activities you engage in. All of these things have the capacity and propensity to sow deeply into your heart. What is so insidious when you think about marketing um, is that it sends subliminal messages, right? That cause you to want things that you didn't even think you wanted. And to not only want them, (laughs) but to be willing to do just about anything to have them. Now, this is a very oversimplified example, but have you ever been watching TV? and a commercial comes on for McDonald's, you hadn't been thinking about McDonald's, right? You know for a fact that the McDonald's near you you never even has hot fries. But all of a sudden, all you can think about is McDonald's. You don't care how hard you've been working out, how long it's been since you gave it and ate fast food. You are now laser focused on getting into somebody's drive-thru tonight, right? The enemy is just as insidious. That song you like with the language, you know. I mean, you're an adult, so is it really a big deal? The images that you scroll through that, you know, trigger a sexual response, 
I mean, she does look good, so what's the problem? The shows you watch that supposedly reflect reality that are really just overwrought with fighting and drama and cheating that now have somehow become synonymous with entertainment. The way you speak to yourself when you say things like, it's too much, it's too hard, it'll never happen, I'll never have, all of that, all of it is designed to infiltrate that vulnerable organ that we call a heart. And then what's residing there after it's been filled with garbage then affects how you live the rest of your life. Remember, the Bible said that everything we do flows from the heart. Proverbs 18, 20 through 21, summed up together, <laughs> what you say fills you, right? I want you to jot down Proverbs 18, 20 through 21 to read on your own. But in summation, it, it's something with what you say fills you. You become whoever you say that you are. I want you to think about the digestive system right? The food that we eat, we are encouraged to eat foods that are healthy, that are nutrient dense because our body processes those foods and uses the nutrients that it gets from those food to create new cells. So that literally over time, you become exactly what you've eaten. So when you see dull skin or dark patches or, uh, functions of your body that aren't working the way that they used to, or you have insulin resistance, all of these types of things in your body are the result of what you have put in. The same is, is true with your words. Your words are powerful. You have to watch what you say, especially about yourself, right? Because what we say is a summation of what has been deposited into our heart. So we need to be careful about what has been deposited so that we can be careful about what comes out. We must kind of guard the ear and eye gates so that we can be especially diligent about guarding the mouth gate, knowing that our words have the power of life and death, knowing that what we speak, especially about ourselves, has the ability to form our reality. Did you know that your words create new neural pathways in your brain? That your words, in essence, create belief systems, create train tracks for thoughts to travel, and that what you repeatedly say about yourself is reflected in what you really believe about yourself to be true. This is why as believers, we talk about how it's so important to stay steeped and saturated in God's word so that we can know our identity for ourselves. So that when our circumstances try to tell us that we are someone other than who God has said that we are, we can speak back to those thoughts. We can confront those thoughts, right? So when we talk about guarding those gates, the Bible gives us some really practical insight, insight on how to do that. Number one, we want to pay attention to what we're watching. Psalm 119.37 says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. I'm convicted <laughs> when I think about over time how much of it I have spent scrolling through social media looking at things that may have been entertaining but add no inherent value. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not downplaying your leisure time or what you need to do to relax. I'm saying be mindful of the messages that you are sending yourself based on the content that you are consuming. Second, pay attention to what you're thinking. 
Philippians, Philippians 4, 8 says, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In today's society, we're confronted with negativity all the time. If we're not careful, it will absolutely consume our thoughts. We have to be intentional, intentional about guarding our mind and be intentional about what we choose to think about. You have power in this area. You can choose your thoughts. There are a lot of things that are outside of our control. The things that are, we need to be absolutely adamant that we are not going to abdicate that responsibility to anyone else to form our thoughts. We are going to take control. And when we have the option to choose to think about things that are high level, high standard, that are excellent, that are worthy of praise. If you need help with that, um, the Psalms, uh, Proverbs, those are great places to start. And last but not least, we're going to pay attention to what we're hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you don't know what to listen to, start by reading God's word out loud. If you don't feel equipped to carry out the things God's calling you to do, whether it's setting boundaries or walking in your calling or making that next hard decision, start by reading the word of God. Let it sink into your spirit. Start by listening to trusted pastors and preachers who can teach you, Bible study leaders, Start here at Rooted if you must, but really be uh, selective about what you allow to enter your ear gate, including the conversations that you have, the advice that you receive, whether that counsel is, is, I guess, be discerning about whether it's a wise conversation to have, whether you're likely to receive wise counsel. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. There are some things that are like fiery darts from the enemy that he's going to throw in your direction to try to entice a thought. Now, if you belong to Christ, he cannot possess you, but he can oppress you with uh trying to manipulate circumstances and your environment. You have to choose then. When you recognize that's not my thought, I don't think that way about myself. I don't think that way about others. We're going to cast this thought down and we're going to take it captive to Christ. You have to know who you are, which only comes from the word of God, in order to be able to identify when a thought comes through that's not your original thought. When an attitude or an environment is beginning or an atmosphere is starting to shift into a negative direction and you know you didn't intend for it to go that way. You've got to be able to identify what is of God and what isn't so that you can cast down what's not and uplift what is. So when we talk about guarding our heart, I want to be clear that we're not talking about a physical isolation. We're not talking about denying our natural inclination for relationship. I don't want you to think about erecting a defensive walls or mechanisms that eliminate the opportunity for relationship or for you to be vulnerable. We're really just talking about consecration, which is, <laughs> which is an old vacation Bible you know, school word. We're talking about sanctification. We're talking about being set apart taking our role as believers seriously, knowing better and doing better, right? Because we understand the impact of low standards. 
This is not about being better than anyone else. It's just about being different from. This becomes more and more important as you become aware of your identity in Christ and the calling that you have on your life. This boundary, once you know those things, is a non-negotiable because when you understand what it is that you possess and how precious it is, this is something we can't let the enemy infiltrate. In the same way you would secure anything of significant value, you're going to come to learn the same is true for your heart. The reason why we can't risk letting our heart remain unguarded is because not only will ungodly traits try to infiltrate, but even the good desires you have can become warped. You might be asking, how, Shania? There are legitimate desires that we possess, right? Things that we have prayed about and asked God for that remain at this current moment unfulfilled. Can you go with me there? right? It doesn't mean he doesn't have them for you. Just at, for what we know right now, those promises have yet to be fulfilled here and manifested in the physical realm. Our heart, when unguarded and left open to attack, will begin to take these desires and magnify their presence in our hearts to such an extent that it'll try to push God out and make the desire a God within itself. You've seen this. You've seen this. When the desire to get married one day becomes so all-consuming that you no longer feel like you have value as a human being because you're single. Or the desire to be quote-unquote successful and gain wealth becomes so all-consuming that you'll sacrifice all of your time your relationships, your commitments, even your ethics to try to get more, even though the more is never enough. Friend, what's happened is that the desire has become an idol. And to God, idolatry is adultery. In Exodus 20 verse 4, we first hear God's command regarding idolatry. And in the Amplified Version, it reads, You shall not make for yourself any idol or any likeness, form, manifestation of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth as an object to worship. So an idol is any likeness of anything that you have created as an object to worship. I want to say something here that I think is really important for us to consider. I've seen this trend on social media where people are equating God to an arrogant, um, egotistical being. When God commands us not to worship an idol, an argument that can raise is that God is somehow prideful, arrogant, that he needs our worship, that he is egotistical, and gets off on exalting himself. We have to understand that God is so loving and kind and patient with us that we often forget the awesomeness of the God we serve. God is going to be God whether we ever utter his name or not, whether we choose to worship him or not, whether we choose to acknowledge him as Alpha and Omega or not, God is not helped 
by our worship. God is not made bigger, better, or greater by my praise. I am helped. I am made better. I benefit from my relationship with God, not the other way around. And we, although loved by him and made in his image, need to get that right ASAP because wrong attitude affects application. God warns me against idolatry, not because he's intimidated by idols, but because he knows what worshiping idols will and won't do for me. What do I mean? Let's read Psalm 115, 4 through 8. It says, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of man's hands, meaning something that God, that I'm sorry, it's something that man has made. So not God made something that that man has made. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. Nor can they make a sound with their throats. Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. Worshiping idols won't ever give me God's best. Allowing my desire to sit on the throne of my heart won't ever give me God's best. And worshiping idols will make me just as ineffective as they are. An idol can't help me. An idol can't save me. An idol is something I have crafted and created in response to me believing the lie that God is somehow holding out on me. In case we haven't forgotten, unchecked desires, I'm sorry, in case we have forgotten, unchecked desires of the heart will morph into idols of the heart that will seek to be satisfied by illegitimate means. Let me say that again. Unchecked desires of the heart, even if they're legitimate, will morph into idols of the heart that will seek to be satisfied by illegitimate means. When we approach that point, we're likely to become susceptible to going our own way, the way that we have concluded is wisest and fair and likely to get us what we want. Because now that's the most important thing. But if we were honest, this probably isn't the first time we've attempted this route. And although it didn't work before, we fool ourselves into thinking this time will be different. But it won't. And when it's not, who do we blame? Just sit there for a second. When our plans don't work out, even though we are the ones who eliminated God from the picture, we are the ones that stopped trusting in his timing and his provision. When we presumed he was holding out on us, who do we blame? Proverbs 19.3 says, The foolishness of man undermines his way, ruining whatever he undertakes. Then his heart is resentful and rages against the Lord. For being a fool, he blames the Lord instead of himself. We are foolish and undermine our own way when we think we're going to be able to possess God's best for us without God being involved. And when it doesn't work out, instead of us repenting from our rebellion, we get resentful and blame God, even though we went out on our own. Mm-mm-mm. Because look, if we kept the boundary, Maybe we would still be single. That's a possibility. But you know what we wouldn't be? Recovering from yet another heartbreak 
because we failed to guard our heart. We allowed our emotions to puff our desires up into an idol, and then we believed the lie that we could have God's best without God. God sets boundaries to protect us. When we rebel, we forego that protection. The painful consequences we're experiencing were not his will. They're just an inevitable outcome of our poor choices. Let me say it again. When we rebel, we forgo God's protection. The painful consequences that we're now experiencing, those weren't his will. They're just an inevitable outcome of our poor choices. Let the church say, ow. Right? Next week, we're going to lean further into a part two of tonight's discussion where we discuss some common pitfalls, some common idols of the heart, and not only discuss them, but talk about how to break them. I love you so much. I'm Shania. This is Rooted. Thank you.